It's the football, 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 and sometimes other sports show. Here's your host, AJ Nicoletti. What up? FFFSOSS.com. At FFFSOSS. Trigger Three. What's up? Week off there. I know if you're just strictly a pod listener and you don't have a Twitter, um, you're like, what the hell, dude? Where the hell have you been? Well, I, I didn't want to do 15 minutes last week on just transfers because nothing happened, okay? Um, to that point, Rice and Timber weren't announced yet for Arsenal. Man City have yet to do their little splash center back signing that we know they're going to do, that they always do year after year. Okay, so most of the moves hadn't happened yet. So I said, "How what, what, am I going to do a 15-minute show? No, I'm not doing that. So we took the week off. We built up this uh, open championship preview, which will be uh, the gist of the show, the majority of the show for sure. So we got that uh, with um, a look back at the – Previous five winners of the Open, a look at the Royal Liverpool's history, um, of course, Open history there, the weather, and uh, look at the course hole by hole, and then we'll do storylines, odds, and then picks into that. We'll do soccer transfer rumors and some NFL headlines. So that is what is on the docket for this pot. So 151st Open Championship Preview, soccer transfer rumors, NFL headlines. Generally, that's what we're going to be doing, all right? So we kick it off with the 151st Open Championship Preview. We'll start with the last five winners. Last year, the 150th Open at St. Andrews, Cam Smith. Finished with a score of 20 under par. He won by one stroke over Cam Young and two shots over Rory. 2021 was Colin Morikawa at Royal St. George. Won by two strokes with a score of 15 under. We know in 2020, we did not have a Open Championship uh, with COVID. So 2019, Shane Lowry was the champion golfer of the year. Won it at the Northern Irish Lynx in Royal Port Rush. 15 under by six shots. He had a great walk up at 18, if you remember that one. 2018, Molinari, 8 under by 2 at Carnoustie. And 2017, Spieth, 12 under by 3 at Royal Birkdale. Remember, he was way right. <laughs> and he had uh, that big mound in front of him where he hit his second. They had They were figuring out... What's my target? What's the yardage? So when he was with by the equipment tent over there, so in an equipment truck. So those are the last five winners over the last six years because we didn't have that uh, open in 2020. So Cam Smith, Morikawa, Shane Larry, Frankie Molinari, and Jordan Spieth, the last five winners of the Open Championship. So let's go to Royal Liverpool now. Um, the famous quote: Bernard Darwin, who is a great amateur in his own right, but more maybe famously known as the grandson of Charles Darwin, quote, blown upon by mighty winds, breeder of mighty champions, end quote. That's what he's talking about when he mentions Royal Liverpool, often referred to as Hoy Lake because that's where it really sits in the town. It's named. Uh, it's about 10 miles northwest of the city of Liverpool, so not necessarily in Liverpool, but is Royal Liverpool. So um, back in the rotation in 2006 following 39 years without an open. Um, they had some changes to tees, bunkerings, and greens. They go all the way back to 1869 when they shared land with the racetrack as a nine-hole. 
Royler Pool is credited as hosting the first amateur competition, Walker Cup, and international match in the game's history. So how about the, speaking of history, open history at Royal Liverpool? Well, that we had that big gap, but the two most recent is 2014 Rory won 17 under and 2006 Tiger Woods 18 under famously only pulled driver once the whole week and played with that two iron really off the tee. So that was the modern two opens at uh, Royal Liverpool. Before that, you have to go back to 67. DiVincenzo, the Argentine, I believe, was 10 under. And then 1956, the great uh, champion Peter Thompson, plus two, held it in 47 and 36. But 1930, one of the more famous wins, Bobby Jones, part of his Grand Slam, one of three amateurs to win uh, the Claret Jug. 1924, another great champion, Walter Hagen. 1913, it was Taylor, his fifth major at that point, and also Royal Liverpool hosted the Open in 1907, 1902, and 1897. I mean, this is, it's just, golf has such great history, guys. It's so cool. All right, weather. Early in the week, there's been rain. It's been a, uh, they call it a traditional British summer over there with rain, you know, popping up at any point in the day for any amount of time. It could rain the whole day, but it will rain. That's just what it seems like is a English, British summer, whatever you want to call it. So, the wind will dry it out a little bit when it picks up, but this course is really green, and we'll get to more about the wind and more about the greenery of the course in a second, but let's get into the um, weather by the rounds. Thursday, probably in the 60s, small chance of showers, a west-northwest wind, 15 mile an hour, gusts up to 20. That could be late in the day. Friday, similar to Thursday, again, chances of the rain, upper 50s, probably won't break the 60s. Uh, wind still uh, west-northwest, little lesser, 12 mile per hour, and then the gusts of 17 to 19. Saturday could be the toughest conditions, upper 50s, lower 60s, it could break into, again, showers throughout the day. Wind's going to switch up to west-southwest, and truly southwest winds, 12 miles per hour, gusts up to 20, and then Sunday, Upper 50s may break into the 60s. Light rain throughout. West-southwest wind. 10 miles an hour. Gusts of 14 to 16 they're looking at so far. So, if you recall, most of the majors we have stateside here, whether it's the Masters or the U.S. Open or the PGA, they have the morning-afternoon waves, right, where... You're going to have guys going off the 10th tee at the U.S. Open and the PGA. Probably not Augusta uh, as much unless there's really a weather thing. They, they like sending guys off the first tee. That's kind of like what they'd love to do there. But there are afternoon morning slash afternoon breaks in the schedule. You can see the breaks in the tee times when there's uh, too many groups on the course to keep sending them out there. Well, the best thing about the Open is, hey, Morning tea opens up at 6.30. Send them out till we're done. <laughs> so, yes, there is a quote-unquote morning and afternoon wave, but it's not like um, there's a big split or there's a big delay in the wave. It's just send them out. Oh, it's afternoon now? All right, they're the afternoon wave. So um, just send them out tea times here at the first at the Open Championship. So the course 
exposed to win. Kind of like uh, what Darwin said. There's mighty wins. There's mighty champions here. Bobby Jones, Rory, Tiger, Hagen. Um, so many great champions. So exposed to the wind. Relatively a flat course, especially for a Lynx. Yes, there are your humps and bumps in the fairways and the bunkering. But it's not as um, severe the undulations across the board. Yes, there are certain holes that have the sloping and the humps and bumps in the fairways and, and the near the green with the runoffs. But really, they say the low point to the high point on the property is 20 feet. So that's not a lot of undulation traditionally for a golf course. So it's relatively flat. The fairway bunkers, unless you're in the back of them and you can clear the lip with whatever club, they're probably pitch-out bunkers. They're probably 60-degree pitch-out bunkers where – you're losing a shot, and now you're scrambling from par from wherever you can get the ball on the green, right? So fairway bunkers, most likely basically a shot penalty. And if you're not familiar, the routing is different for the opens versus members play. Also, some of the differences in the course this time around. We have an entirely new 17th hole that we'll get to at the end of the hole-by-hole. And they've added tees and length in holes, specifically 14, 15, and 18. So it's a par 71 for the open. I believe par 72 for the members uh, with that 10th hole is a par 5 normally. Yes, yes, yes. So um, normally par 72, par 71 for championship week, four par 3s, three par 5s, 11 par 4s. So let's get to it. The front typically should be more scorable than the back. The back is one of the longest um, back nines in, in open history, if not the longest. So front should be more scorable. Let's start at the first, of course. Par four, big turn to the left, bunkers in the landing zone, and then some bunkering front center, front right, and front left of the green. And then you kind of have runoff areas at the midpoint right and midpoint left of the green. So depending on where you are, and again, with the course conditions, if you're in the fairway, you obviously have a better chance to run it up or hold it or do whatever you want to do. Whereas if you're in the wispy stuff, if you're in a gorse bush, if you're in like um, the more thicker of the fescue, again, probably a shot penalty, right? At minimum almost. So um, a lot of the trouble on these holes isn't necessarily the hole themselves. It's what where the out-of-bounds kicks in or... Um, bunkering complexes it's not necessarily the length of these holes or um the 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 trees that are in the way or something no there's no trees there's no trees it's links golf right all right second par four parallel to the first coming back the other way uh turns to the right bunkers in the landing area there's a ob curve fence on the left hard green to hold the second they got some deep bunkers in the front and um, the putt, uh, the green slopes to the back left if you're going to try to come in, um, rolling one in there. To the third, par four, members first here. This is going to be a really, really interesting and talked about hole. Um, part of the old racetrack, another hole like that. Dog lay right, internal out of bounds, the entire right side of the hole. And the corner is about anywhere from 220 to 260 where where the tees are kind of a thing. 
No bunkers at this green, oval-shaped green, relatively flat green. The trouble on the third is that tee shot. The further right you are flirting with the out-of-bounds to try to cut some yardage off the hole, it is an aggressive play. It's also a very risky play. And if you're just going to bail out left and not cut it around the corner, if you're a righty or draw it around the corner, if you're a lefty, you're going to be looking at a longer iron into that green. So players are going to, I don't think you'll see a lot of drivers at three unless the guys have complete confidence in their ability to shape the golf ball over the out-of-bounds or away from the out-of-bounds and not have it run through the rough. So three, very, very interesting hole. All right, the fourth, another par four, shortest par four on the course. That, does that necessarily mean it's drivable with the right wind? Again, another hole where you're going to see a lot of different strategies. Are some guys going to try to bang it as far as possible? Yeah, that's what a lot of people do regardless, right? Just take driver, bang it down there as far as possible and figure it out when you get down there. But possibly drivable with the right wind. Um, it's the only green from the original layout, which is very interesting, and there's been changes to the green with some bunkering recently. Fifth, the lone par five on the front has to be a birdie hole. Uh, big turn to the left. Gorse bushes on that left side. Bunkers in the layup zone if you're, you know, in one of those bunkers on your drive or in the rough and can only pitch out to a certain point. There are some bunkers that you might have to deal with if the wind is um, in play in that direction. So, Two-tiered, contoured green, two bunkers. Not necessarily the toughest green on a par five. So if you hit two good shots, maybe three if you lay up, you should have your chance at four on this hole. The sixth, our first par three of the open. Slightly uphill, trouble short and left. Kind of an upside-down saucepan green, so everything really funnels off. Um, the middle of the screen is relatively flat, um, but the edges are all, all, all running off hard. And where that ball could end up after a runoff, you got two bunkers left, one right. So um, that could be a popular place for some of the players to end up on that sixth after their tee shot. Seventh, part four, wide, but then a narrowing fairway. Green is to the right. It's like a diagonal, diagonal, diagonal green. I'm leaving it in. Carded on the left uh, with two bunkers. Recovery shots. This is not as difficult as some of the other greens like the six or some of these other greens that have the um, big, big, big runoffs, the very, very steep runoffs. This one isn't as deep, isn't as steep if you're going to chip back on to the seventh green. Eighth par four. Turns to the left. Uh, some more big bushes on the left there. OB on that left side as well. Fairway becomes wider, but there's some humps um, and bumps and bunkers front and then one back left of the eighth green. Then the ninth, the second par three on the front. Big green front to back. Kind of a breather hole. Greens open in the front, receptive in the front. Um, so really could be a birdie opportunity to end your front with for sure if you hit a good shot but you should be walking away with three here it could play a little longer than some folks are expecting but 
again, still an opportunity depending on how gusty the wind is to get a two to finish up your front. Now we go to the longest back nine in open history. The 10th, par four, usually a par five for the members. Fairway pinches with a big fescue mound from the right side. So it seems like a relatively wide fairway, but the, the more you advance your ball down there, um, you could get a bad kick or end up in that fescue hump. It'll be very difficult to get out of there. So, again, a longer hole, a long par four that you still might not see players hit driver uh, because they're afraid of maybe hitting it too far and hitting it into that mound. Um, so, with that mound, it's probably a blind second bunker front, uh, front right of the green that you got to carry. The 11th, par four, short hole, uh, very undulated fairway. And this is kind of the, if you're looking for like a signature humps and bumps fairway hole, this is it at the 11th. Um, a lot of slaloms, depending on where your ball kind of lands, it could kick forward and be a great bounce. It could kick not backwards, but almost kind of up in the air instead of forward hard, just kind of straight up. Could kick right, could kick left. We're going to see a lot of interesting bounces at that 11th. And then you got a inverted punch ball green. Um, similar to the saucepan that you, you saw a little bit earlier. Um, what was that on the 6th, right? With this kind of shape of the green or, or the the um, runoff areas in the, into the recovery areas. Uh, bunker front right, not that receptive traditionally the 11th. On to the 12th, another par 4. Big swinging fairway to the left. Bunkers outline the right. Um, you got runoffs in every direction of this green. No greenside bunkers. So an interesting hole here. If you can put your uh, tee shot in a good position, you can be aggressive going into the green. 13th, par 3. Semi-blind tee shot. Kind of an arrowhead-shaped green. It's tucked in the corner. There's a fescue mound kind of front and then left bunker front right as well. So it's a very interesting par three with your eye. It's it's not a straight one. It's kind of um, a, a, a illusionary par three, if you will. 14th, par four. A lot of people say the best hole on the property. Um, Big sweeping fairway to the left. Bunkers on both the outside and inside corners of the dog leg. A guarded green. Topography, humps and bumps, and uh, tough, tough hole on the 14th. 15th, par 5. New tee added after that 17th hole got flipped. So that adds 50 yards to this par 5. 10 bunkers, 8 on the left. There's a burn on the right. Uh, the fairway gets squeezed in. Possibly more of a smart move to go for it rather than lay up. Um, you might be able to take your chances more towards the green than um, in your layup zone. Could kick right and be in the rough. Then you have to hold a flyer off. Could kick into a bump. So there's a lot of options and there's negative options if you lay up. A lot of players might just go for that one into that par. 515th trio of bunkers front left 16th par four back to the flat land here slight turn to the left ob right shouldn't be a big problem depending on the wind five bunkers in the approach 
two-tiered green putting surface. Now to the 17th. Brand new hole. The old 15th, they call it. Um, it was flipped, and now it's the other direction. So where the T is was basically where the green is. Where the green was was where the T was. So that's how it is. And it can only really play it's 134 yards. So it's not a long par 3. It could be very exciting. Massive bunker in the front of a runoff area. Deep bunker right collects anything that side of the green. So we could be seeing somebody need a 2 down the stretch and, and hit a good shot in there. We could see somebody possibly blow it um, and hit into the bunker and take one to get out and then miss the putt and end up making double. That could be something that happens on 17, but a lot of people talking about this 17th hole, a lot of people very excited about this 17th brand new hole. And then the 18th, finish it up. Par 5, lengthened for the open with a new tee, again, adding about 50 yards. It's possibly reachable in two. You got to have two perfectly aggressively placed tee shots. Uh, tee shot and then the second there. OB all the way up the right-hand side, and it is tight to the fairway. There is not, I want to say, it seems like it's less than 10 yards from out-of-bounds to the fairway on the right side of 18. Um, you got It, it kind of turns for the second shot. You got the Bobby Jones bunker, um, and the best angles on this hole are from the right. Uh, you're going to have to challenge that out-of-bounds, most likely if you're going to want to have a – an eagle opportunity. So you got two bunkers right, three bunkers left, and that's the 18 holes, hole by hole, at Royal Liverpool. 26 scores of double or worse on the hole where uh, the Open was here in 2014. Six more than any par five on tour that season. Pretty crazy. All right, let's get into the storylines. Rory McIlroy, fresh off the Scottish Open win, He's been so close in recent majors. He returns to a place that he's won. Obviously, I'm picking Rory to win this week. No duh, AJ. You always pick Rory to win. Of course, you're going to pick him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was picking him regardless if he won the Scottish Open. But to win the Scottish Open the way that he did, he misses that short punt on 16, and he has to birdie one of the last two to get in a playoff. Hits a good shot at 17, makes the putt, and then on 18, into basically a 60-mile-an-hour wind, it's a two iron that possibly will go down as one of the best two irons ever seen in the game. When you look back on it, especially if he wins this week and goes on to win more and more majors. Um, because that two iron was awesome. And then he made the putt. I don't think he thought he was going to make the putt. Sucks for Bobby McIntyre, who had an, his own great shot into the 72nd green. Uh, the lefty there, the Scott, tried to win his own open. But it was Rory. Rory looking to be the first guy since Phil to go back-to-back -back with Scottish and the Open. And I really, really like his chances. I love the way that he won the tournament last week um, because we've seen him, whether that was at uh, LACC this year or St. Andrews last year, of be on top of the leaderboard on Sunday, and then he just didn't go win it. He didn't lose it because it wasn't like he – went out there and bogeyed every hole and screwed it up and doubled and hit the ball out of bounds like he did at Augusta the first time he was in contention. No, this was different. These were, he almost played like he had a six-shot lead instead of in contention with a couple other guys. 
Um, and that's how Cam Smith went past him at St. Andrews last year. That's how Wyndham Clark went past him at LACC this year. So, I mean, I love Rory's chances. I like that he's canceling the press conferences. I just, I really love where his game's at. I love where his attitude's at. I love where his perspective's at. And as a, as a Bob Rotella guy myself, um, you got to keep knocking on the door. One of those times it's going to open for you. So all you can keep doing is knocking on the door. And I think that's what Rory's been doing. And he's been believing in it. And I, uh, I think he wins this week. Scotty Scheffler, back to number one, looking for that second major. He's been a tee to green machine. He's been a top 10, top five machine. If he could putt, he would have won maybe 10 tournaments this year. I'm not kidding. He needs to be better on the green. Tee to green, he's unbelievable. He's driving the ball well. He's hitting good second shots. I mean, how many three, four, six-footers for birdie are you going to miss? You know, I'm 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 not gonna sit here and say, hey, every 12, 15 footer for birdie these guys should make. That's impossible. I mean, they make 20% of them, maybe. Whatever it is. But for what he does, T to Green, and for how good he is and how good of a ball striker he is, it's really troubling how poor of a putter he's become. And has been. Um, it's just not good. It's not good enough. Um, and even if he made like half of them, even if he made half of them, he probably wins some tournaments more. So that's tough. Plastic needs to get going for Scotty Scheffler, world number one. John Rom, number two, tied third two years ago in the Open. That's his best finish. John Rom looking for his third. The Masters champion this year. Could he open the major season with a win? Can he close the major season with a win? He's a guy that has a tremendous amount of game, has a tremendous amount of um, talent, and also his mindset is excellent. We used to worry about John Rahm. You know, is he going to get that fire under control? Is he going to get that... Um, attitude that's hurt him in check and he's done it and he's a guy that I'm not hearing a ton of people talk about and winning but wouldn't be I wouldn't be shocked if he's the champion golf for the year at the medal on Sunday that's for sure Brooks off the PGA win four top tens in the open but no win um he's competed he's contended but he hasn't broke through for that claret jug yet um Brooks has just been a U.S. Open PGA monster exclusively. Um, he had the opportunity this year at Augusta. Didn't go well. Uh, he had previous opportunities at Augusta. Didn't go well. He's had previous opportunities at Opens that he hasn't finished off. So he's got that taste back in his mouth for major championship golf. He's got another win. Is he a guy that's going to get a second major this year? Brooks Kepka. Cam Smith, defending champion, um, an excellent golfer, a guy that has the flat stick that Scotty Scheffler's looking for. Cam Smith makes a lot of putts. 
whether that's a belief that he's going to make him, whether that's his um, his, his strength. He steps over a 15-footer for birdie, and I'm like, he's going to make it. Whereas Scotty Scheffler's over a four-footer for birdie, I'm like, I don't know if he's making this. That's the difference in that game. But Cam Smith, he was his short game was excellent at St. Andrews. If he missed a shot, he missed it in the right place, and he's got the game for our Lynx golf, as we know. Justin Thomas fine for his third major, not playing particularly well. He's just gone to left-hand low to putt. A lot of people thinking he's banged up or injured um, and just avoiding surgery for the majors in the Ryder Cup this year. I wouldn't, that wouldn't shock me in the slightest, but he played better in Detroit and just hasn't played good golf since. He hasn't, he hasn't been good. So JT's a guy I'm worried about. Jordan Spieth was trending better. Then he bangs up the back a little bit, tweaks that. Then he tweaks the wrist. So he's had some injuries, but five top tens, including the win since his open debut in 2013. How about this stat? Spieth leads in score relative to par. Top 10 finishes and made cuts since he's debuted in the Open in this championship. So I think Jordan likes Open open Championships because he's he can be more creative. He likes to roll the ball. He likes to shape it. He likes to um, really envision the shot that he's hitting. Very descriptive with his pictures um, and his imagery. So... I think his brain and his style lend very well to Lynx Golf, and he's a guy that I have in my win bets this week, as do I have Colin Morikawa, who, another guy, if he putts, he's in contention. He strikes the ball too well not to be contending. He does... His irons are so spectacular. So if he can replicate what he did two years ago, look out. He could be a three-time major champion and a two-time open winner. Ricky Fowler playing some great golf. Finally won again in Detroit. He was tied second in 2014 when Rory won it at Hoy Lake. So a guy that's had some positive memories. Um... And a guy that showed he can win again. And that's big. And, you know, I'm hoping Ricky Fowler has a big finish here. Wyndham Clark, the U.S. Open winner. Listen, I think Wyndham Clark is a talented player. I don't know if he gets a second. You know, it's very difficult to get a second because it's so hard to get a first, right? So, you know, a guy like... Gary Woodland, Jimmy Walker, you know, some of these guys with one. They should be very, very proud of themselves. And they've accomplished something very, very few people have. But I just don't see him winning a second. Matthew Fitzpatrick tied 20th best finish looking for his second major championship. He's a guy that I think will win another major. His diligence, his skill set. His kind of grinding mentality, I think he wins another major. Max Homa has not had great Open Championships. Tied 40th best finish. Um, really, his best memories of Opens were walking with Tiger last year 
possibly at Tiger's last open at the 150th at St. Andrews. Like that's, and I love Max, but Max will be the first to tell you that he has not played well in these major championships, um, in these open championships specifically. So I'm going to need Max to give me a top 20, top 10 before I start thinking he can win uh, an open. I think he can win at Augusta. I think he can win a U.S. Open. I think he can win a PGA. But as a, it's a different, it's a different kind of deal when you go across the pond. Xander Shoffley, Olympic gold medalist, but again, is it his time to win a major? Tied second best finish at an Open. Guys got game. We know that. Unfortunately. In Matsuyama's Masters, you thought that was his opportunity. And he didn't, what did he, hit it in the water on 16, if I'm not mistaken, the par 3? What did he hold? I think he hold out from the bunker on 15, and then hit in the water on 16. Um, to give Matsuyama some, uh, some breathing room. At that Masters. But Xander Shoffley, very, very good player. Is it his time? Possibly. Victor Hovland. Big win at the Memorial. That sets him up to finally complete one of these quests. And I think he will at some point. I just don't think it's his time yet. I think he has to maybe one more of those either, you know, final pairings or second to last pairings where he comes up a little short. He will break through and win. And I think that Memorial big field that gave him more confidence in his abilities to go win in a big field. I just don't love this course for him necessarily. Some other guys in this breakthrough category, Patrick Cantley, Cam Young, Tony Finau, Billy Horschel, who just, as much as I really like Billy Horschel, he just, I, he must get too amped up for major championships. He does not play well in majors. Uh, Fleetwood, Hatton, a lot of people talking about Fleetwood this week and a guy that another guy that I think could win major championships. Got to win one before he wins multiple. Terrell Hatton. Exciting. Some other major former champs. Uh, Matsuyama. Scott, who tied fifth in 2014. Jay Rose. Shane Larry. Stuart Singh. Patrick Harrington, the two-time Clara Chug winner. Zach Johnson. More than seen as well. And we got the young gun, Sam Burns, who got a brutal ruling the other day at the Scottish Open. Uh, Siwoo Kim, Sung J M, Tom Kim, Saifi Gala, Min Woo Lee. I love Win Min Woo Lee. He's he is fun. He is fun. I encourage you to check out if you haven't, um what's it called? Inside the range or at the range, whatever it is, but the the who is it? The BBC over there has the British Open or the Open, sorry. Oh, they got. They would be pissed with me if I said the BBC has the British Open. That's for damn sure. But whoever it is, they were interviewing him while he was hitting balls on the range. It was really, really interesting. Really, really fun. And then we got the resurgence from Jason Day, Ricky Fowler, Keegan Bradley, Brian Harmon. Live guys, other than Cam and Brooks, DJ, Bryson, Phil, Keimer, Reed, Ustaz, and Stenson, Schwartzel, and then Answer, Peters, Cantor, Grace, Gooch, and Blant. Taylor Gooch getting a lot of play as winning this thing. I'm sorry. I don't see it. I don't see it. All right, we go to the odds. 
Uh, we got some weird numbers here, but that's just what we got. Roy McIlroy, the favorite, 21 to 4. Scotty Scheffler, second choice, 15 to 2. John Rahm and Ricky Fowler at 12 to 1. Fleetwood, Hovland, Cam Smith at 15. Brooks Kepka at 18 to 1. Xander and Terrell Hatland split 25 to 1. Colin is at 28 to 1. Larry, DJ, Spieth, Cantlay, 30 to 1. Fitzpatrick, 35. Tom Kim, 40. Jay Rose and Cam Young, 45. The group at 50 to 1. Wyndham Clark, Max Homa, Tony Finau, Adam Scott, and the nerd Bryson DeChambeau. JT and Minwoo Lee at 55. Matsuyama and Jason Day at 65. McIntyre at 66 to 1. Taylor Gooch and Sam Burns at 70. Sung J M at 80. Reed. Teddy McCarthy, Keegan Bradley, Corey Connors, 85. Fox, Louie at 90. Harrington, Straka, Grace, Henley, 101. If you said, AJ, out of the top, I don't know, six, eight choices, who would you say? Minwoo Lee is interesting. Jason Day is interesting. I would say Adam Scott at 50 is interesting. But I do believe it's a Rory. I believe it's a Rory uh, Open Championship. He's coming off the Scottish win. He finished that off in in a fashion that he hasn't won a tournament in a while with those late birdies. It wasn't like he was like holding on for a, a lead or holding off some shots. He went and he went and won it, kind of a thing. So give me Rory. Give me Rory to win. Uh, put top 10s on Rory, Jordan, Morikawa, Xander, Scotty, and Rom, and then some top 30s, Fleetwood, Homa, Ricky, Jason Day, Fitz, and JT. So we'll recap round by round. The 151st Open Championship next week, uh, probably early in the next week. So the tournaments while we were gone here, Substraka won the John Deere, Vincent Norman won the Barbersaw, and then Allison Corpus won the U.S. Women's Open at Pebble, which was awesome. Hopefully you watched some of that. It was awesome, awesome stuff. All right, Tiger Transfer Rumors, Man City. Guardiola is still the main target. They are showing interest in Benjamin Pavard if that falls through. Silva's still leaving. Cancel is still on the way out. Walker has been linked to Bayern Munich. Laporte could also be moved, and Riyad Mahrez is getting some Saudi interest. So there could actually be some outgoings for Man City. You don't see them have a ton of outgoings, to be fair. Arsenal finally do the double. Rice and Timber both announced, and Arteta says, possibly not done this window. So the Arsenal midfield really completely redone. Xhaka moving on. They're looking to sell Thomas Partey. They have Jorginho as a guy that could fill some roles, but it's going to be Rice, Havertz, and Odegaard in that midfield three for Arteta. Liverpool news, and it's weird news here for Liverpool. They got their business done early enough in the market with McAllister and Sobosai coming in. They had said they were moving on from the players last year, you know, Firmino, Keita, Oxlade-Chamberlain, and um, Milner. So you didn't think there were going to be any outgoings relatively after those four, but Henderson and Fabinho linked to the Saudi League, Thiago linked to Barcelona, and just like that, it could be a complete midfield overhaul for Liverpool with them losing possibly six midfielders in one window. So if one of them go possibly no move because of Liverpool's belief in Curtis Jones and Batacic. If two go, you would probably see another player come in. And if three go, you might see two players come in. So could that be Alavia, Graven Birch, Appy Bonrot? Those are some of the names you're seeing. 
Uh, I would say Chomeni is not for sale for Real Madrid, even though they have a bunch of midfielders. But that's the story with Liverpool. Um, and they could possibly get another center back, but not too sure. They're kind of on the defensive right now. Um, because apparently personal terms for both Jordan Henderson and Fabinho have been made with their Saudi clubs. And it's just about negotiating a, an exit price. So Fabinho is not with a team, but Henderson is. So it's pretty weird right now to be a Liverpool fan. But it is what it is. Man U, David De Gea out. Maguire stripped of the armband. He wants out as well. So it is certainly a new age in uh, Old Trafford. And it started last year when Ten Hag came in. But you move on from a club legend and goalkeeper that's won a ton of things with you and you don't give him a proper send-off. You kind of just say, all right, you're done. See you later. McGuire, you strip him of the armband, so he wants out. So Onana's in. They're looking to make business for uh, Hodgson Lennox, the striker for Atalanta. They made a new contract with Rashford, so that's done. And possibly another midfielder if uh, Fred or Vanderbeek leave. So that's the, the uh, situation, man. You, Chelsea. Unfortunately for Wesley Fofana, he suffered another injury. It's an ACL. Um, and they moved on from some center backs. So they were looking for him to step up and have a big season. But Wes Fofana will miss significant time for Chelsea. Next for Chelsea, Lukaku on the outgoing got a little more complicated. Apparently, Chelsea thought they were just dealing with Inter. But then Juventus spring up after... Lukaku agreed to personal terms with Juventus behind Inter's back, and they're like, what the hell is this? So um, that situation is going to need some sorting out because Chelsea don't want him. Inter wanted him, but maybe they don't want him anymore. And was were Juve trying to just drive up the price for Inter to screw them? Like, we got some sorting out to do in Lukaku's situation. But the primary target for Chelsea still on the incoming is uh, Casado from Brighton. Brighton rejected their bid. They've rejected a bunch of Chelsea bids dating all the way back to the January window. So it's surprising how these two clubs have not agreed to a price already. Um, they're trying to move a Bangayang to Marseille. Fulham made a first bid for Hudson Adoy. That got rejected. And AC Milan have signed Pulisic away from Chelsea. And apparently they want Musa next from Valencia. Tottenham, Spurs have rejected Byron's Kane bid. And then PSG are planning on attempting. Uh, a hijack of the deal for Harry Kane. So it seems like Levy is going to have to fight off not one European giant, but two European giants to keep Kane around on a base salary, but not too much money, and then not turn down a big enough offer if it comes in. So they're in a weird spot, Tottenham are. And then uh, they're trying to get Van de Ven still. The negotiations are ongoing. Other teams... Newcastle could sell St. Maximin to the Saudi League to make room for Barnes. They're also interested in Cravicelli from Napoli. Apparently, they bid $80 million for him, so I don't know why the hell that, like, I don't know how Napoli, can Napoli say no to that? They've already said Osman's not for sale, but they really haven't talked about Crava much. Uh, Villa want Duku, the um, Belgian. Forrest want Henderson permanently after Onana is going to Manchester United. So, Forrest looking to get Dean Henderson on permanent. Ashley Young's going to Everton. West Ham want Paulinha from Fulham. Fulham are fighting off West Ham for Paulinha. They're fighting off uh, other clubs for Mitrovic. They're trying to beat West Ham for Ward-Prowse. And they're also interested in Shea Adams. And so is Crystal Palace. So, a lot of stuff happening with Fulham. All right. Outside of England, 
the Mbappe PSG situation, we're still at an impasse. Seems like he won't sign a new deal, and that means he has to go this summer, but then he has to negotiate a new contract with whatever that club is before they can sell, right? So, because no team's just going to offer the money and not agree to a contract. That's just not how it works in, in today's footy. So, he's got to go this summer, and we're July 18th. Teams have started their camps. Teams want their players back, you know, in their training grounds or on their, um, you know, away from, you know, international training camp, whatever it is, right? So that's got to get sorted out. Chavi Sibbins, who is a very, very exciting player for PSG, is going to be on loan to Rebel Leipzig. Quadrado has left. Juventus is going to Inter, and Inter also want Summer to replace Onana from Bayern Munich after Bayern Munich got Summer from Gladbach after Neuer got hurt. So there you go there. And then after reports of Juventus cutting ties with um, players, including Weston McKinney, Weston McKinney was back training with Juventus. So I don't know where those rumors came from. I guess I read those wrong or whatever. So my fault. Uh, some Saudi League signings, Sergei Milinkovic-Savic going from Lazio to the Saudi League and Rodrigo from Leeds, who were relegated going to the Saudi League as well. Some NFL headlines. Titans have won the DeAndre Hopkins sweepstakes, two for 26, and Hopkins um, immediately becomes the best receiver for that team. I mean, it's obvious, but uh, they had a lot of young guys and they had a lot of unproven guys. So uh, Hopkins in to help Tannehill and then the the younger quarterbacks, whoever it's Willis or Levis, who knows? But um, who knows if Hopkins would be there for a second year? We don't know, but. The DeAndre Hopkins sweepstakes is over now. The running back position, a lot of people are upset. Saquon Barkley, Tony Pollard, and Josh Jacobs all do not sign tag tenders. Barkley and Jacobs might not show up to camp, and Barkley's even, it's being talked about, they won't play week one against the Cowboys, which, hey, man, go get your money, get your bag, sit out. Um, but apparently the running backs have a group chat, and step one was to complain on Twitter to get awareness about the running back position. So, all right, that's step one. So we'll see what step two is. Jets news. Uh, front office and Quinn Williams agree to a four for 96 contract extension with 66 guaranteed. And the Jets are going to get on hard knocks. So um, not really surprising with the stipulations and the rules for teams that are um, in the hard knocks shortlist process, right? Whatever you want to call it. So Jets are going to get it. Schefter's already carrying, trying to carry Aaron Rodgers' water, basically saying that it's going to be a different version of Hard Knocks. The Jets don't want us, are not giving access to the cuts and all this kind of stuff. Well, I mean, those are some of the most human parts of the show. And those are some of the most relatable moments for people. To see these guys who are the modern-day gladiators also have to lose their job and get fired and get cut and get released, like... That's one of the more relatable things that any Joe Schmo, John Doe, whatever you want to call them, everyday Chuck and Larry, I, I don't know, but that, that's one of the more things you can relate to because everyone's been fired, everyone's been sacked, everyone's been let go or released. Like, no one's ever not been fired from a job somehow or, or contract wasn't renewed. Like, personally, I've never been fired, but I just didn't have a contract renewed. It's a little different, right? Um, but anyway, yeah, the Jets get hard knocks so that'll be certainly entertaining it was last time uh Mixon and the Bengals are working on another restructure even though he restructured last year so that's kind of interesting 
Uh, the Jags and Evan Ingram agreed to a three for forty-one million dollar deal, and Deshaun Jackson has hung it up. So we won't see a random Sunday uh, at like five o'clock. Deshaun Jackson catching an eighty-yard pump and go from some random quarterback in an AFC West game. Uh, you will not see that this year. So Deshaun Jackson calling it quits. So, um, yeah, that's this week's pod. So big, uh, big golf pod. And it'll be a big golf pod next week as we recap the 151st Open Championship round by round. And we'll provide the statistics for the winner and all that kind of stuff. So we'll do that next week. Some more soccer transfer rumors, some more NFL headlines. I have the basis of the soccer NFL college football schedule for the pod, preview schedule. So that will come out next week. All right, talk to you next week. Have a great weekend. Peace. That's the name of it? Guys, check out his podcast. That sounds like my kind of podcast. Football, 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 and sometimes other sports show. Sounds like me.